This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. And on today's episode, it marks the middle of the calendar year. Wait, no, that's not right. It is now almost uh, into August, so it is not the middle of the calendar year. It is a little past by two months, but you know, who's really counting anyways? Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our favorite movies of the year so are. And the reason why we're, we're kind of doing this in, in early August, I know a lot of publications will put this out in like end of June, early July. But really, you know, January, February, it's still Oscar season. You're still catching up on the movies from the year before and trying to formulate your own best of the year list, or at least I sort of do. And, you know, February, March, April is really the dumping ground where the studios put out their worst films that they just can't wait to offload and they can't find a streaming service that is willing to buy it from them. So really, the summer movie season is when the movie calendar really begins and that's when sort of the good blockbusters come out and then slowly, every once in a while, you'll get that like good indie drama that doesn't really have real Oscar aspirations that will come out. And so, yeah, we figure this is the perfect opportunity to now talk about our favorite films of the year. We're going to name our five best and, because what's better than throwing a little bit of shade, our five worst films of the year. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Rachel, but we both are going to have a bit of a caveat of not really including Oscar movies. You know, there's a few movies that came out in this past year, stuff like uh, Minari, stuff like um, Jewish and the Black Messiah, The Father, Malcolm and Marie, things like that that were awards season eligible. And so I'm frankly not including it. I don't know about you, Rachel, but uh, first off, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. And yes, that is correct. I I'm also asterisk asterisking asterisking <laughs> those yeah, movies. Totally yeah, it's a totally word. Um, those movies, and I'm not sure what I'm doing for my end of the year list, but for the purposes of this one, yeah, I'm just putting them to the side so it can make room for some other great movies that have come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always tough when we're trying to do lists like this: best of the year, best of the half year, whatever it is, because. You're looking at things like festival dates and wide release dates and all this sort of stuff. And it all gets really confusing. And and it basically boils down to when did you see it first sort of thing. (laughs) And that's when it basically counts, or at least for me, because it's my podcast and I'll do what I want. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I mean, for me, it's it's I always I always think not counting festival. Anything that didn't have a wide release in the year is usually off limits to me like if it was only available through a po- uh, not podcast if it was only available through a, a film festival i tend to not include it um just because i don't know i don't feel like it's fair because not everybody had the same access to it like we're lucky we're able to go to film festivals like we have the resources to do that but not everybody does um so yeah i don't know it, it's it's always a tricky thing formulating your any type of top five bottom five top ten lists um, but I feel like this year in particular is actually more difficult than others. Well, now I'm really confused. You don't like having a false sense of superiority? <laughs> yeah, not your average uh, film critic, am I? I, I need wow. to work on that because I feel like <laughs> I feel like to be a film critic, you really need to hold it over people that you've been able to see things that they haven't been able to that that most people haven't been able to see, you've and then remark with up, Rachel. Yeah, I know, and then you have to remark it with like. Oh, you haven't seen it? Why oh, not? Oh. Like, oh, pity. You'll eventually come to your small town. <laughs> yeah. You'll get it on Netflix one day. Don't worry about it. <laughs> By DVD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, speaking of that, completely side tangent, I'm so disappointed that we never had, like, the Netflix DVD thing up in Canada, or at least I don't think we I did. Because that, like, sounds so cool. 
I um I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I used to live abroad in the UK and they had the 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 it wasn't Netflix though. It was a I want to say it's called Love Film. I think that's what they were okay. called. But the same. Um but it was concept. pretty much the exact same thing. Like this idea mm-hmm. of they would send you DVDs and things. I was a student though, so I'm like I have very little money and I shouldn't be wasting <laughs> it on this. Mm-hmm. Um so I didn't. But yeah, I it, we never got it in Canada, which is a shame i do i you know what i really miss um blockbuster though or like i had jumbo video around me i don't know what everybody else had but yeah i miss like rental stores because that was always really fun on a friday night going there and just kind of wandering around thinking what you wanted Mm -hmm. to take out and then you had your weekend set i miss that quite a bit 100 percent, yeah whether it's you know blockbuster jumbo video 99 rogers video your local convenience store that had a whole bunch of movies doesn't really matter like yeah that could be a a whole episode being nostalgic about that yeah i used to always get at least one mr bean movie to bring like it would be a a bunch of different things and then at minimum one mr bean video of course because that would be like the 99 cent section because it was an older release yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, it would be like the same ones over and over. And then I think eventually my dad was like, we should just buy this. And I'm like, but it's not as fun. <laughs> I spent, <laughs> sure. spent more on the rental fees than I have on yeah. just owning it. <laughs> I had a few movies like that. There were a few movies that I just kept on renting it. And I mean, I was a child. I didn't have money to buy things. So it was up to my parents to do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, good times for sure. Uh, but yeah, we should probably get this uh, tangent back on course and talk about yep. our favorite films of the year. This is this is going to be a short little fun episode. So yeah, we're going to start off with our five favorite movies of the year. Rachel, if you want to list off your number five through one, and then we can kind of talk briefly about your list. Sure. So at number five, I feel like much music, like video top 10 or something. Um, so at number five, it's I chose The Mitchells versus The Machines, which is an animated movie on Netflix. Uh, number four, I took Nobody, um, which was Bob Odenkirk. And side note, glad to hear that he's okay after he had a bit of a health incident on set of Better Call Saul. Absolutely. Number, th- yeah, number three, uh, I chose a Danish movie, Riders of Justice. Number two, Pig, which is Nicolas Cage's resurgence back into back into our homes and into our movie theaters. And number one, I, I just said I wasn't going to be like a snobby film critic, but um, I chose one that's not actually released yet, but it will be released, which is Nine Days. Um, I talked about it a bit in the Green Knight episode um, of the podcast as my double billing for Green Knight. And I actually made a mistake there. I said that it was going to be out on August 6th. It's actually going to be out in Canada in theaters on August 16th or 13th. Wow. Sorry, 13th. You lied to my the bad. audience. I know my bad. I was like going through and I went, oh, shit. Like I, I said the wrong thing. So it's going to be out August 13th. Yeah. I should have said that, but it's going to be out August 13th. Um, yeah, I, I have had a bit of an advanced screening on it. Um, but it's brilliant and I want everybody cause it's a smaller movie. And I know that some really big movies are coming out this weekend, like free guy and suicide squad. Um, so I'd love to push people towards to watch something a little bit smaller, a little bit, different a little more it's not i wouldn't even say it's like an art house movie it's just it's something a little bit different 
So I've only seen two of the movies on your list, and that's uh, The Mitchells mm-hmm. vs. the Machines and Riders of Justice. So I can't really talk about your other three. I, I do want to see Pig. I watched the trailer for nine days after you mentioned it, and mm-hmm. wow, does that movie seem odd in a very interesting way. So I'm definitely curious by it. And uh, Nobody, how many times have you now watched that this year? So they took maybe 20 bucks in an old watch. Mr. Madsen, did you even take a swing? No. Could have taken her, Dad. Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know? Why didn't you take him out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Oh my God, I've seen it so many times. I I, I, I think it's probably been the movie that I've watched of the 2021 releases that I've seen the most. Um, I don't know why. I, it's just a very sounds a bit disturbing because it's quite a violent movie but it's a very comfortable movie for me like it's Mm -hmm. just a very you get like a very kind of warm blanket feel from it i don't know the soundtrack is amazing bob odenkirk is great i just keep watching it and i really i was a big fan of the john wick movies as well um and who is it the writer Derek colstead of nobody he is also the writer for nobody so it's kind of it's very in keeping with the john wick um style of film but yeah, I love it. I'm I'm very obsessed with Nobody. And I'm pretty confident. It. I don't care what great Oscar-worthy movies coming out later this year. Nobody's going to stay on the list. <laughs> nice. Now, I think for me, the mental block is I just cannot picture Bob Odenkirk as an action star. He's just such a wimpy, weaselly character actor. I love him. He's such a good actor. He's so funny. But I just cannot picture him in a action film. And I've seen like a behind the scenes clip where he's like doing chin ups and stuff like that. I'm like, that's not Bob Odenkirk. Who, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> Will I still be sold on it? But that, like, that's kind of the point, right? Like, yeah. the point is, is he is the guy. Like, he is, he's quote unquote, he's nobody. Like, he's he's a no one. He's he's your average like auditor accountant dude that lives in the suburbs in a cul de sac. He's got two kids. His you know his wife's a realtor. Like, it, there's not. He's he's meant to be just absolutely nobody spectacular and lives this kind of crazy life that his kids don't know about his, I won't spoil it. His kids don't know about it, but yeah. Um, and it's, 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 I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's like the most compelling thought provoking thing that you've ever seen in your life, <laughs> but um, it's entertaining and everybody's really, really good in it it's really well done. Like it doesn't just feel like a John Wick knockoff, which I mm-hmm. kind of thought it might be when I first started watching it. Um, Cause you can't really do that. Like, cause Keanu, I don't think we look at Keanu Reeves and think of him in the same vein that you think of Bob Odenkirk, right? Like Not Keanu's a- built himself. Yeah. He's built himself a reputation that you're, you're going to watch it and you'd be like, yeah, you know, he's going to kick ass. But yeah, that's kind of the point of nobody is that Bob Odenkirk is nobody. And it's kind of fascinating that he is somebody. Keanu Reeves is good at exactly two things, or is known for exactly two things, being terrible <laughs> at Shakespearean dramas, or like oh, Shakespearean-like dramas, and being really good at handling a gun. Excellent. And pencils. <laughs> and pencils. What eh, weapons, I'll say. Any, any weapon. He's great. Yes. He's excellent. Yes. I could go on and on about Keanu Reeves, so I won't. But yeah, he's he's... He's great. I'm not even going to start. Now, The Mitchells and the Machines didn't make my list. It is one that mm-hmm. I did quite enjoy the humor, but I found 
in the end a little too overly sentimental. So that's probably holding mm-hmm. me back from from being fully on board. But I did really like the character work. Uh, I'm I'm a huge Beck Bennett fan, and so him voicing one of the robots was just the absolute highlight for me. <laughs> Let me introduce myself. I'm Katie. I'm sort of a weirdo. My parents haven't figured me out yet. To be fair, it took me a while to figure myself out. My brother, also weird. Hi, would you like to talk to me about dinosaurs? No. Okay, thank you. And my mom. Katie Face Cupcakes. Ah! All of us, really. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. But yeah, it's one I did find funny. It's a good, like, I don't know. I, I It's kind of like a good sneaky movie, like one of those that just kind of popped up out of nowhere and, and also just as quickly disappeared out of nowhere. Like people just stopped talking about it as well. Um, it's a great animated movie. I love the animation in it. It's very similar to the animation that was in, oh, Into you have to help me. Into the Spider-Verse, that's it. I was going to say the multiverse, yeah, that's... Which is interesting because despite the fact that uh, they're both produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, both these movies have completely different directors. So it's very interesting that Mm -hmm. as producers, they are able to have such a similar comic book-like animation style to them. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, I love it. Like I I was one of my favorite things about Spider-Man, that Spider-Man iteration was the animation. I just thought it was so creative and a really good way of bringing comic book animation into the 21st century. The last time I like, I mean, I, I watch um, some of the DC comics, but they remain the flat 2d that we saw when we were kids. Um, but everything else they've kind of haven't done it as well. And so I was really intrigued by that. And then Mitchell's versus the machines. They do. It's a very different story. It's not a superhero story, but they do a really good job. And, um, Maya Rudolph, in my opinion, I think she's one of the most underrated actresses working right now. Like she's so good in everything that she does. She's always hilarious. She's always, um, you know, I, I always hate to use like internet things, but it's like, she understands the assignment. I'm a cool kid. I can say that. I can say that. So <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was just, I, if I'm, I'm completely honest with you, I don't know if it's going to end up in the, my top 10 at the very end of the year, but I really enjoyed the movie. It surprised me. And I mean, to be fair, I haven't watched it since, so that might be telling of it as well, but I, I really enjoyed it. So if anybody hasn't watched it yet, um, it's just on Netflix still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the voice work overall is, is pretty fantastic. I think it's very surprising. Yeah. Danny McBride as the father in a yeah. very <laughs> un-Danny McBride role. I didn't know it was him, like, until I was looking up some information about the movie. And then I saw it was Danny McBride. I went, man, like, it, right. I mean, not this, it's nothing uh, on Danny McBride. Like, I'm not trying to slag him off at all, but no. um, they could have gotten a lot of different people to play that role. It didn't have to be Danny McBride, which kind of makes me curious, like, why get Danny McBride if you're not going to let him be? Danny McBride, you know, but may- maybe yeah. for him, it's a bit of a challenge to like that somebody finally let him do something different than what we always expect him to do. So, yeah, because I guess I would sort of describe him as like uh, toxic masculinity incarnate, is, like <laughs> what his characters usually are. Just like has so much yeah. machismo. He's usually very douchey. He's very overbearing and condescending and 
doesn't know when he's in the wrong, all that sort of stuff. And like complete opposite, just like, I, I know he's got a family. So like, maybe this was like, every once in a while you hear about like famous people being like, I did this movie so that my kids could see something I'm in. And like, maybe that's, that's true. Yeah. This is his movie where he gets to play a regular dad. And maybe that's, you know, as we all know, comedians aren't really are who they on, are on screen. That's them performing. They do have an off switch and they're usually nothing like their characters. And so maybe this was closer to the real Danny McBride than the one we've seen in, uh, in countless other movies or his TV show Eastbound and Down for anyone that's seen that, which is like him at his peak most McBrideist. Sure. McBrideist. That's nice. Yeah. I, I actually, as you were talking, I was like, I realized I thought it was John Goodman when I was first. Mm. Like, I remember thinking because mm-hmm. only, only because the character, they made him look like John Goodman, like the actual animation yeah. looks very John Goodman-ish, but I was like, that doesn't sound like John Goodman. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's great. And uh, Fred Armisen is in it. Uh, yeah. Who else is in it? Olivia Coleman. She's great too. Olivia Coleman's actually pretty wonderful in it as well. And it's really bright and colorful, which I always think is fun. Like it's animated movies should be really fun and pleasing to the eye. And, and they do an amazing job at it. And that's, I, I was actually looking through, when I was looking through my list, I realized I think uh, three of the five, they're all directorial debuts, um, oh, including wow. Mitchell's versus the machine. Yeah. So I'm, it was purely a coincidence, but pig is a, a directorial debut. Nine days is a directorial debut. Um, interesting. I don't know what to make of it, uh, but it's cool. Like it's cool that there's people out there who their first crack at it, they're making some pretty high quality movies in my opinion mm-hmm. anyways. Well, do you have anything else to add about your, your top five list or uh, shall we move on? Um, you should watch Pig. I've been asking you. I keep asking you. I'm like, have you watched Pig yet? <laughs> um, it's yeah, a I fun like movie. That comes I, every couple of days. I know. I'm like, so have you seen it yet? Like, it's a great movie. Like, it's it's fun in a way that it's not Nicolas Cage fun, but it's fun. And um, yeah, I I it comes out on digital. Uh, it'll be out on digital when this when this gets released. So uh, anybody can go in and rent it. You can buy it if you want. Uh, but definitely go watch Nine Days when it comes out in theaters. It's definitely worth watching in theaters. I'm going to go again. Like, I know I'm going to go again for sure. Wow. Okay. Very high praise. Yeah. All right. Well, then here is my top five. In number five, we've got The Dig, the Carrie Mulligan Netflix movie, uh, which probably won't end up making my final top ten. But for now, it's it's up there, uh, one that I, I enjoyed. Coming in at number four is the direct-to-Disney Plus film, Luca. Um, <laughs> a little dig at Disney pissing off their Pixar counterparts. Uh, <laughs> coming in at number three is the A24 film Zola. Coming in at number two is speaking of being uh, snooty, pretentious festival people uh, is a, is a Japanese film called under the open sky that I saw during the Toronto Japanese wow. film festival and is currently playing at the Fantasia festival, which we're going to do coverage for later this month. So if anyone's checking out Fantasia, check out under the open sky. And then coming in at number one, where there might be some debate between us or some, some hands thrown, <laughs> The Green Knight. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of figured. You know you what? Did, of yeah. of of your five, I think the dig is the one that I'm most surprised about. Although now that I'm thinking about it, maybe not because I remember you were quite high on it when I, I I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but I did notice that you were 
quite up on the movie and you seem to like um kind of period films as well i've noticed that about you but the dig is one that um yeah i'm i'm surprised i feel like if you pooled like a hundred people right now i don't know if people would remember the dig also because it came out really early in 2021 like Mm-hmm. I think January it was like was the January week after release? the Oscars or something like that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm surprised by that one, but what, what exactly not to make you defend the dig, not that I hated it, <laughs> but let's start with the dig. Like why, what about it? Did, was it that, that kind of gravitated to you for you? What are they? We're standing in someone's graveyard. I reckon Viking. Oh, maybe older. Mr. Brown is an archeologist. I'm an excavator. You've come to dig up the mounds. So you think there's something beneath? Who are those men? They're from the museum. Ye gods! This is pretty. I think you'd better come and see. Um, I don't know. I I think for the most part, it's it's. This really sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but it is so unoffensive of a film. It's you know, it's got some. It's got a really sweet story. There's some good character work between both Carrie Mulligan and and Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes being like, we often get like very extreme versions of, of his performances, and this was just like a nice, very middle of the road, quaint performance by him. And so I, I sort of appreciated that and a little bit of will they or won't they aspect going on before we find out that he's actually married. And, and still committed to his wife and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, like like I said, I, I don't think this is going to make my final top 10. This is just being the case of like at the beginning of the year when I start my my new list of, of movies I'm watching, it was, it was like, well, I guess this is kind of at the top by default right now because I haven't seen anything else. And then slowly as I was seeing more and more stuff, I was like, yeah, but The Dig was kind of better anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, like... We, I think we talked about this before. The Lily James stuff really does not work in this movie. But like, if you take yeah. out that subplot completely, this is a very easy to watch film that's not going to offend anyone. And you're probably going to come out uh, with some level of satisfaction, which is like, <laughs> like I said, damning it with faint praise. But that I, I liked it. I don't know. That makes sense. I actually, I see where you're coming from. Like, it's just, it's kind of how I felt. I didn't put this on my list, but it's kind of how I felt about Stillwater in a way. Um, where it's not that I came out feeling good about Stillwater. Like if you, if you've watched Stillwater, you'll know it's not, it's not typically happy ending. Um, but it's just one of those movies you watch and you go, yeah, that's like, it's kind of a a quieter drama. Like it's just kind of Mm -hmm. a point blank drama, which kind of oddly, we don't get very much in, uh, in Hollywood circles anyways. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. The other one I want to talk about is Under the Open Sky. Yes. I'm, I, yeah, I know we talked about this at Toronto Japanese Film Festival in that episode. I hadn't seen it. You were, the, I think, the only one that had watched it. Naomi didn't watch it either, did she? No, she did not. Yeah. No. It was, it was just, it was just me. Yeah, I'm so surprised that it ended up so high on your list. Um, I definitely need to watch it. We have it, like you said, it's on Fantasia, so I'm, I'm going to check it out. Um, did you expect it to land so high? Like number two is a pretty, like it beat out Zola. That's pretty. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. Like, yeah, like I said, I I, I keep track on Letterbox of of everything that I'm watching year to date. So it's it's super easy to be like, okay, I, I know exactly where everything is. So when I, you know, when I rate something four stars or whatever, I look at all the other four star movies. I'm like, okay, do I like it more or less than this one? Okay, now I saw it in there. Do I like it more or less than the next one? And then just sort of puzzle piece it together. And and this is another one of the ones where every movie that I've seen that I've sort of rated similarly. I, I keep thinking back to the main performance in this film, uh, and it's it's just such a powerful lead performance. It's it's almost it's it's the actor Koji Yakusho, and he he's been in some stuff that I've seen like Memoirs of a Geisha. Uh, he was in Babel. He's been a, a whole bunch of other really high profile uh, Japanese films and some North American ones as well, and it just it's just one of those movies where the performance is so strong. It sort of supersedes everything. He's in every single scene and just you absolutely gravitate towards him. And it's interesting because I looked at some of the other reviews of this film on Letterboxd and the like, and most, most people seem to be mixed to kind of down on it. Hmm. But like, I don't know. It's, it's just something about it just really, really stuck with me. And, and I, and I had to rate it so highly the movie as a whole. Yeah. It's, it's kind of so, so the plot's a little iffy, but like, it's one of those times where the performance in it, it just propels it straight to the top. What were people down about it on Letterbox? It seems mostly to be pacing issues. It, okay. it does kind of stop and start. It doesn't really go anywhere during certain moments. And when you're expecting more climactic scenes, we're not really given them, which, you know, maybe is a case of people wanting more from a movie about uh, an ex-Yakuza gangster who's released from prison and trying to get his life back on track. And he has like a few scenes early on where he's got anger issues. And so he has outbursts and stuff like that. And he gets in a couple fistfights, which is a little funny for like a man in his seventies to be in fistfights with 20 year olds. But like he pulls it off because he's got this, like he's got, this gravitas and this weight where, you know, so many actors, like I'll even compare it to someone like Brad Pitt, where he was such just a pretty face for the longest time. And then finally he got this lived in look, same as, same as George Clooney. As soon as he started to like actually look his age and like show some wrinkles and show that he's lived a little bit, suddenly their characters got a whole lot deeper and more interesting. And I, I feel it totally with, with this character as well. That's a really nice, kind of summary of that i will say brad pitt and george clooney they both got better with age they really did are you talking about acting ability or looks looks because i think that generally they were (laughs) they've always been pretty good actors like i wouldn't say that their acting sucked when they were pretty but like i think they were always pretty good but they they just in terms of you know the lived in look it works for them uh i need to definitely check that out though because you've i'm especially now that you uh You've put it so high up. Um, the other, I saw Luca. We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking. Air. <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. Luca, for me, sat very middle of the road. Like, I liked it, and I thought it was... was I thought it was sweet. I thought it was heartfelt. I liked the animation of it, but for some reason it just didn't stick with me. Um, But obviously it did with you. Now my question for you about Luca though, is I would see some, or I I did see some uh, reviews and a bit of discourse about Luca, about the two boys and how this was actually a queer film. 
they're saying like it's about two kids who are kind of dealing with as as all kids are dealing with growing up and discovering who you are as a as an individual um, but then the director came out and was like it's not about that they're just friends <laughs> and now I don't know if that was Disney basically saying hey like you know we don't do that and because they're yeah. worried about numbers in China or other countries as well not just China but um, th- that's always a consideration for Disney but did you get that vibe from it when you when you watched it or actually I guess before you answer that is did you know about that discourse before you watched it yeah i I kind of knew about it a little bit i mostly i i didn't watch this movie right away i watched it about two Mm -hmm. or three weeks after it ended up coming out and it seemed like everyone was being like this is the kids version of call me by your name yeah like i went in with that and like yeah like whether the director is because this is based on him as a child with his Mm -hmm. childhood best friend and both of them are straight and it's Disney, so you can't have explicitly queer characters. Mm-hmm. Like the most queer character in the Disney canon right now is uh, LeFou from the um, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast movie, which is like <laughs> such a passing sort of thing where it's like, oh, hey, in the background, he held a guy's hand. Yeah. Where it's like, but like, sure, it's a kid's movie and you don't want to put too much on it. But looking through a queer lens of this movie this is clearly a queer love story. And like my letterbox yeah. review of it, my, my first line of it is, uh, straight girls get in the way of everything <laughs> <laughs> or something. Like that. I, can't, I can't remember exactly what it is, <laughs> which is obviously a joke review. And like, I'm not serious about that. I'm just sort of like memeing along with it where everyone's calling it, call me by your name for kids. But yeah, <laughs> but like, it, I'm sorry. This is this is definitely a queer allegorical story. And like, I was listening to another film podcast talking about it, and they were talking about how when they are their real selves in the water, how they're all rainbowy and shimmery, and they look beautiful and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And like, and this mm-hmm. movie came out during Pride Month. It's like, come on, how many more layers do we need to put on this thing? <laughs> These boys love each other. When I watched it, I didn't. I didn't see, like, I didn't hear this beforehand, um, this kind of uh, an- analysis of the movie. So when I came out <laughs> watching it, I was just like, oh, yeah, like, they're they're cool. Like, it's it's cute movie. Like, you know, I thought, uh, I can't, Lou, I was like, uh, wow. I was going to say, what's the main character's name again? His name's Luca. <laughs> hey, Luca? I don't um, know. Yeah, it's Luca. Yeah. When Luca, like, calls it, like, he leaves his friend out to dry, literally, like, he's in the water and he's like, oh, look at that. I'm like... Dude, Luca, like that's rough. You know, you're a crap friend, man. I was like, Yo, this is such a betrayal. But I didn't. I honestly didn't come away with the idea that it was about two kids. Um, I guess, like, like I said, like discovering who they were and who they were were two gay young men. You know, mm-hmm. and then I read a review. I think it was on that shelf, actually. Um, I think it was Victor Stills wrote that review. Um, and he talked about it and I felt like such an idiot. I was like, oh, that completely went right over my head. And I was like, I, <laughs> I, I felt so stupid that I was like, oh, I didn't even see that. And I mean, talk about, you know, straight girls ruin everything. I clearly ruined <laughs> that. Like, I was just like, I, it just didn't pass through my head that that's, that was even kind of a possibility. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I, I've said it before. I don't think I've said it on the podcast before, but I've said it before where I definitely have a blind spot when it comes to queer cinema. Not that I have anything against it, obviously. It's just, I just don't watch enough. Um, and I know that that's something I need to fix. Like I need to, I need to actively make sure I go out and search titles and, and uh, f- different filmmakers. But I, I really felt like an idiot after I read that. And then I read so many other reviews. I was like, oh. I misread Luca the whole thing. I was just like, oh, it's just like a fun little Italian, I don't know, movie. Which, by the way, Maya Rudolph also in that one, right? Playing playing mom again. Yeah, she uh, she's great. Animated films, yeah, and she's go great to, in both. Go to mom, yeah, yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, that's a great list. I actually wasn't expecting. I don't think. I think Green Knight and Zola were the two that I was expecting on on the yeah. On that, list. That's a pretty. You know, film hipster pick. Like, (laughs) it's pretty safe (laughs) to assume that I'll probably have those near the top of my list again at the end of the year. I I was like, yeah, those ones will definitely be in there. But um, (laughs) but other otherwise, though, Luke, I'm because you've mentioned it before, where you're not huge on animated movies as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of surprised Luca made it. But again, like, it's not just an animated movie, is it? It's a lot more, which went right over my head. And I guess to even be more hot takey about it, like mm-hmm. I think it's it's close to top tier Pixar. Like it, it's not golden age Pixar, which was like that that few year yeah. run in the mid two thousand where everything was like the great the best movie of the year sort of thing. But I think it's probably in like the the ten or so range. I like the intimacy of it, and, and I feel like with Pixar movies, the last few they've been trying to like be these big expansive films and, and try to have these big grandiose messages. And I like that. It's just like, it's a simple story. It's about two yeah. boys who are literally fish out of water trying to find <laughs> who they are. And it's got like all these great little Italian jokes. And, and maybe because I'm half Italian, I like loved all the jokes about Vespas <laughs> and pasta and all that sort of stuff. And it just like all, all those little Italianisms just like made me giggle to myself. And, and so I appreciated the, the intimateness of the actual story. I mean, you make a really good point because I, when I reviewed it, I think I said something very similar that I said, it's not, it's not the Pixar that we've kind of come to know in the last couple of years or so, Um, especially because the last Pixar movie that came out was Soul and Soul is like not for children. It is an existential crisis just waiting to happen. It was my favorite movie. One of my favorite movies. No, it wasn't my favorite. I think it was number three. I think I put it at um, last year, but it's an amazing movie, but I think because Pixar was on this trajectory, you're absolutely correct. When Luca came out, people thought, oh, it's not as good. It's like, it's not that it's not as good. This is actually more traditional Pixar slash Disney, like what we grew up with as mm-hmm. um, animated movies. Like this is a lot closer to that. And it's, I mean, if I'm a kid, I would prefer Luca 10 out of 10 times more than I would want to watch Soul. Because Soul is oh, something 100%. you got to kind of... Yeah. You gotta be a little bit older to appreciate soul. Um, you basically have to be like beaten down a little bit in life, and then soul makes yeah. sense to you. But if you're eight, like Luca's the best kind of thing. And so, yeah, I I, I think Luca was a bit unfairly uh, reviewed in that sense because just because it's you know we're comparing it to Soul, and they're completely yeah. different films. Just happens to be by the same studio. All right, so I think we should move on now and have a little bit of fun taking down some movies. Uh, not something I usually end up doing, but I figure why the hell not? Because it might be the only chance I'll ever get to talk about some of these movies to begin with. So, what are your bottom five films of the year so far? All right, so 
I hope this is it, but like I, my number one, this better be the worst thing I watched this year. I'm going to be really upset <laughs> if it's not. All right. So number five, it breaks my heart to say it, but it was coming to America, the sequel to coming to America. Oh. <sighs> yeah. That one did really disappoint me quite a bit. Um, number four is a Netflix movie called the last, Lo- the last letter from your lover. Number three is Cherry, which was a Russo Brothers Tom Holland picture. <laughs> Number two, Mortal Kombat. Again, another one that disappointed <laughs> me so much. And number one, again, this better be the worst thing I watch all year, is the Warner Brothers commercial Space Jam 2. Oh, God. Such a bad uh, movie. <laughs> I haven't seen any of those movies. Maybe because Don't. Part, I try I try to avoid watching bad movies. There there was a couple that I was uh minorly curious about. I was a little curious when I uh, I was struggling to come up with episode ideas for this show. I thought about doing a make remake of the Mortal Kombat. And I was like, Ugh, <laughs> but even the the original one doesn't look that good. So like I feel like I'd just be wasting my time. Um what was your number five again? I just discovered that I may have a son here in this land. How much child support is she getting from? The king pays no child support. No child support for 30 years and you came back? You was a dummy! <laughs> Hello, I am Hakim Jaffer, king of Zamunda. You are the heir to the throne. Yeah, my son. He's supposed to be like the prince of Wakanda. Wakanda is a fictional place. Not to everybody. Zamunda is a very real nation. I don't need no handout. Wait a minute. All right. I'm going to pay. Okay, baby. Coming to America. Coming to. Right. Yeah, the number that was two. another one where yeah. I, I never saw the first one, so it's not like I've got oh. a deep fondness for it. And I know it's great. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where like it came out and people were like, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Yeah, there no, isn't much not. to it, but yeah, it's pretty funny. I was just like, okay, maybe I'll watch. But I was like, oh, but then I also have to watch the first one. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that. And so I just, once again, skipped that as well. So yeah, this um, that's an interesting list. And uh, and, and ones of <laughs> that I have no interest in seeing. I don't have any interest in seeing Cherry. That movie looked terrible. Ugh. And uh, Space Jam, like... I, I know we all have a fond nostalgia for the original, but like, let's not kid ourselves. It wasn't a great movie. It was a fun movie. And I'm not in the mood of seeing a bad movie. That's also fun at this stage of my life. <laughs> that's a kid. So movie. I, I will say your comment about you, you would need to watch the first coming to America. Um, you don't because the second one is literally <laughs> the first one. Like that's, that's the problem oh. with it is that it's, it's, it's a copy. Like it's not, it's not anything different. And then you kind of wonder, like, why did Eddie Murphy do this? Like, why would you wait? I think it was, I want to say 30 years. Like, I want to say 30 years since it came out, um, the original came out. Why wait this long to just bring out a movie that is so subpar and it's like an unfunny version of the original, which is a classic in terms of 80s comedies, but also a cl- like it's a, it's a, well, it's like a not. I don't want to say it's a crown jewel of his career, but it's a big movie for his career. Like, it, in, if you look through his filmography, like Coming to America is one of his big ones. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't recommend any of these. Obviously, like the one that I might give a bit of a pass to is the Last Letter from Your Lover because I do think that there's an audience for that, and I just I'm not that audience. Um, but yeah, Cherry was just I don't know. It's trying too hard. I think that was my biggest problem with it is that it's clearly the Russo brothers 
trying very, very hard to say, look, we we can do more than just superhero movies. And it turns out not really. They can't really. It's it's Which okay. Which is so odd because I grew up yeah. as a huge Arrested Development fan and then later a mm. community fan. Yeah. And so like they directed some of the best episodes of those two series. And as soon as yeah. I found out that they got hired by Marvel, I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. That's so yeah. awesome. And now that they've got like literally three of like the 10 highest grossing films of all time, it's like, well, what else can you do? And I don't know what else they can do. I can't, I don't, you know, Cherry is this, it, it it's t- it talks about like a really important issue in in North America, but also in the world. Like the opiate situ- like crisis is is a genuine crisis. You know, like it's really really, um, it's really terrible, and it, it just kind of makes I I don't even know how to describe it. Like it it comes away of being such a movie that is about it's it's a movie that is about something so deep and something so. I hate to say it, but it's like, it's really rich with material to talk about, but yet the movie comes away as being really hollow. Like the movie doesn't really come away as, as you feel really impacted. I think a similar movie, like, uh, what was it called? It's the Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet movie, the uh, beautiful boy. You know, that was also about the opiate crisis. And I don't think, I think Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet were better as like their performances were definitely far better than the movie itself. The movie itself wasn't, great um i don't know it's kind of an interesting thing that hollywood's having a tough time seeking out this particular subject matter when it seems like it should be a home run like a really easy home run but maybe they're just not getting the right people behind it to actually talk about it genuinely and authentically no i think that's the biggest problem is you you can't hire some people like the russo brothers and expect nuance like if it was someone like sean baker who's done yeah. movies like the Florida project and tangerine where he actually is able to be a voice for, um, people who are usually invisible by society. He could probably do something like that. But if you're, you're taking a big budget mentality where, you know, Hollywood elites have already been derided for decades of being out of touch liberals, you're going to get that sort of crap anyways. So like, yeah, you're, you're not going to be able to big, make a big budget Apple TV movie about that product about that sorry subject matter all right then unless you have any last points about uh, your bottom five we can move over to mine what do you what do you say move on there's nothing to just don't watch these movies basically like there's much better things out there and just don't waste your time watching any of these ones again unless it's something that's like super up your street like you really love mortal Kombat or you really love you know uh, the jojo myers books then knock yourself out but otherwise just Save yourself some time. Okay. Uh, maybe we should have done these the bottom ones first because I feel like we're going to just get very angry and bitter about <laughs> cinema. Probably. All right. So coming in at number five for me is In the Earth, the Ben Wheatley mm. horror film. At number four is the Roseman Pike Netflix film I Care A Lot. Number three is the Japanese film School Meals Time. Um, and number two is a, another documentary that I saw during, I believe it was hot dogs, uh, withdrawn arms. And then the first one is the world to come. What are your thoughts on that list? Who is that? Good afternoon. I'm Tally. Abigail. I hope I'm not keeping you from something. I'm glad you've come. 
meeting you has made my day. Well, how pleasant and uncommon it is to make someone's day. What was the last one? The your number one worst one? You oh, you haven't heard of this one? It's the world to come. It premiered at Sundance and then it came out and then it quickly died away. Uh, it is basically. Uh, Another version of Portrait of a Lady on Fire that absolutely fails spectacularly. Did you also see Ammonite from last year? I didn't because I heard it was literally a ripoff of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, like a very lesser than ripoff yes, of it. So and I, it, I was, didn't, it was terrible. Yeah, I didn't bother. Yeah, that, that movie had zero of the passion. The story was yeah. somewhat interesting, but there was zero passion. And flip side, the world to come had some decent passion, but the movie itself was just so bland mm-hmm. and boring. And it took forever to get any of the actual attraction between these two women that once again, it's just like, what the hell am I watching here? It, it starred uh, Catherine Watterson and Vanessa Kirby, Vanessa Kirby with mm-hmm. terrific hair in this movie. Uh, and then uh, Casey Affleck and Christopher Abbott as their husbands. But yeah, it's basically like um, two pioneer women who live next door to each other end up falling madly in love with each other because their husbands never pay attention to them, basically. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I, I now that you're saying Vanessa Kirby, I do, I do remember that movie coming out, and I do remember people on Twitter saying like, "Can we stop it with the white women lesbian stories?" Um, like I remember reading that and thinking like, Oh, never like, especially these days when we're looking for movies that are more inclusive and they, they show a wider spectrum of society. Um, it was kind of funny when I heard someone to be like, can we just stop with these? Cause it's getting a bit much now. Uh, yeah, I didn't even bother watching it. I, and I completely forgot it existed until you just said it. Uh, it's it's so funny because when it came when it premiered at Sundance, all the reviews were just like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And <laughs> Steph and I watched it together, but uh, we got a screening access to it, and we both watched it and we're like, "What is this shit?" Like, we both <laughs> love Portrait of the Lady of Fire. I saw it before her, and then made her watch it later on, and she's like, "This movie is amazing!" And like, she loves it. Portrait of the Lady on Fire is like my phone screensaver. It's been like that for like a year and a half, two years wow. now. Love that movie. Saw Ammonite and it was just like, oh my god, this is garbage. And then this is the like, the the triumphative of of white women that are in love with each other that shouldn't be in love with each other because of the time period. And it just like steadily goes downhill. Yeah, this, I agree with whoever tweeted that. Let's stop it with the white lady lesbian movies. Like, I I feel like there's a lot more interesting if we're talking. I mean, we we funny enough just talking about Luca and queer cinema. It's like there's a lot of much more interesting stories out there and. Like there's one that we watched, or I watched at South by Southwest, the uh, Potato Dreams of America. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the movie that made me realize, like, I don't watch enough queer cinema, and uh, clearly, The World to Come is one I should miss. I don't don't need to watch that one. Um, yeah. So, looking at your list, two of the five were two that I have seen. I've mm-hmm. seen In the Earth, which I don't know if it would end up in my bottom. Well, clearly, it didn't, but it's definitely not near the top for me like if i divide my films that i've seen in 2021 half and half it would definitely be in the bottom half just kind of an uninspired little movie that came out that mm-hmm. oh, it's gonna be forgotten um quite easily i'm sure uh but school lunchtime there's the school bell lunchtime that was one that you saw at toronto japanese film festival that i really enjoyed I know you did mm-hmm. not like it. Was it the humor? It was the humor. I remember that you said that you it weren't was the a big humor. Fan yeah. Of, it yeah, it was just too silly for me. Yeah, 
I know we had a bit of an argument about that one because both you and Naomi <laughs> liked it and I didn't. And it was even an argument, more just I shut up and let you two gush about it because I didn't really want to slag on a movie for a festival coverage. Naomi, I don't. I think she actually was with closer to you. She didn't really like it that much. Maybe I think she. she I think she was just like in love with the main actor. I was gonna say I it think. was about the the main actor because he was acting very off uh, off brand. Like he's usually yeah. kind of the stud, I guess, like a, a real leading man. And in this one, he just kind of played incredibly silly. Um, and I remember, if I remember correctly, I think she wasn't a huge fan of that, but she does like that actor. Yes, yes, I do recall that. Mm-hmm. Um, I care a lot. That was one that people actually thought Ros- Rosamund Pike might get uh, some award buzz was around her, wasn't it? I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she got nominated so. for a Golden Globe. I think she not got nominated oh, for a Golden Globe. Really? Yeah. For- well, the Golden Globes suck. They don't even exist anymore, let's be honest now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she got nominated for that, as did a lot of like music and what is it, Emily Goes to Paris. Those all got nominated yeah. too. So yeah. that tells you the quality. But um, was she good in it or is it like a case of just the whole movie is crap? Yeah, she was pretty good. Like I, I've yeah. already mostly forgotten this movie anyways about <laughs> what I thought about it. Um, yeah, it, it was just one of those things where – it was, it was, it was okay-ish. Like the 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 actual conflict and stuff like that that was that was going on just didn't really make a lot of sense, and and I had trouble caring because she was such a, a vile person, and then she was like hmm. going up against an even more vile person, and I don't know if you're supposed to sympathize with either of them or not. In the end, you realize that you're not really supposed to, anyways. But like. Yeah, I, I, it was just one of those movies where, like, you watch and you're just like, I could, I could care less. I think that I think that's why I said in my review, but I was like, I could care less about this movie, um, as opposed to I care a lot. Like, yeah, it just it just it yeah, just did nothing that. for me. Roseman Pike looked fantastic, and she wears yeah. the hell out of power suits, and like, I love it when she's got like her blonde hair and like uh, a really harsh like trim on her haircut. She looks super good that, with that, and like, I'm all for it. But like, yeah, this movie did nothing for me. Of these five movies, which was the one that you went into it hoping it would be really great and ended up being crap? Or not crap, Um, I shouldn't say crap, just one that you didn't like. Yeah, that's tough. In the Earth, it just sort of like falls in that like mushy middle section where a movie that I didn't really care for, but I don't actively hate. I could have replaced Mm -hmm. that with any number of of movies the courier i was like the benedict cumberbatch movie lockdown Mm -hmm. the anne hathaway movie a couple of documentaries that i've watched for these festivals stuff like that where it's just like i could if if you told me to replace that i could have easily done that um so it's it's just disappointing i care a lot similarly i i mostly forget about this movie it's very stylish but yeah i don't i don't i didn't really care one way or another school meals time i had no way one one way going in or another of, of, of thoughts about it. the world to come i had a bit of high hopes for it just because it, it looked interesting and i like the cast that was involved but withdrawn arms probably angered me the most this is a documentary about one of the men who in the um at the 1968 olympics uh did the black power salute but there was two of them on the podium that did that and so this documentary is about one of the guys and it basically just like completely erases the history of the other guy and we we don't really learn anything and then it 
is more about the art project uh, to commemorate him than the actual athlete himself. And just like the whole time, it just felt like they were trying to sell something to me. And like, just felt so disingenuous the whole time. I'm like, this is like, you know, top three, top five, most iconic sports images ever. And it just was such a forced documentary where like, I just felt like, nauseous afterwards of like how terrible this was and how it seemed like it was doing such a disservice to what that imagery meant to so many people. I remember you not liking this one or being more angry about it. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, because like you said, like it, it's, I guess it's kind of like cherry, but not as, I don't think as heavy. It's, there's such a, important subject matter there and especially being a documentary like it's 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 a bit of responsibility that you put on your shoulders when you're going to tell a story like that and you better do it right um Mm -hmm. and it's i yeah i remember when you told me that it didn't end up being so great i was really disappointed because especially given um everything that's going on in the world it's an important even more important story than it already was uh, so many years ago so yeah that's that's a shame So Dakota, to not end this on such a downer note of our five worst, do you have any honorable mention, like one honorable mention for the top five, not bottom five, obviously? (laughs) Um, Yeah, sure. You know, I'm going to I'm going to give a shout out to Shiva Baby. That's that's one that I think people will really like. If you liked uncut gems and you love having panic induced anxiety attacks, you should watch Shiva Baby. I didn't really like that movie that much. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I know. I just, it didn't, I don't know why. Like, I I really thought I would like it. Like, I really, oh. I went into it being like, oh, this is going to be great. And I watched it and I thought, yeah, this is, this is good, I guess. Like, but it just didn't, I don't know. Like, I just, it didn't, it didn't click with me, I think, in the way that it's clicked with a lot of people. Um, oh, but I, I like, okay. I think it's it's interesting. Like, I don't know. I, <laughs> okay, I feel, I, I feel bad. I think that you'll like, it. sure. Can I give you another option that you might like? Uh, and that is the horror comedy werewolves within. Have you seen that one yet? I haven't actually, I've been meaning I think to, this is, is that right the, up your wheelhouse? It's with Sam Richardson, right? Yes, it is. Yes. He is so I have adorable been, in this movie. I love him. I love him deeply. He's amazing. Yes. I would a hundred percent. Yeah. I really wanted to watch that. That's a good shout. Yeah. And and for, for fans of, of RuPaul Drag Race, Cheyenne Jackson is in this, or I guess American Horror Story, which he's also known for. Uh, he plays one half of a gay couple with Harvey Guillen, who is uh, Guillermo on What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. They're hilarious together as a, a gay power couple in this. Uh, but yeah, a very funny movie and some somewhat decent frights i guess um but yeah it's a it's a good movie i think you'd really enjoy it yeah it's been on my to-do list like my to watch list it's definitely one i want to want to get on yeah do you have any honorable mentions then uh i was i would have said zola i think um but you've already we already talked about it i i would say like two movies that were in um film festivals that that uh i don't believe have a wide release yet uh but I'll push them just so if it kind of lands in a film festival near you, go and watch it. It's one I just mentioned, which was uh, Potato Dreams of America. I really, really liked that one. I thought it was, um, it's a great, kind of very creative and very innovative um, film. And the other one I would say is a doc, actually a documentary that we saw at Hot Docs as well. You watched it too, which is Set. 
I know it's has um it's playing in an I think the Melbourne Film Festival at the moment. Um but yeah, it's it's doing the rounds and hopefully it it lands back um in a, a wider release whether that's streamer or in theater, but yeah, those are probably the two that I I thought about adding in and then decided against it because I know that not everybody's going to be able to watch them just yet. All right. Well, there you go. And while we were just reflecting on the movies that we've already seen, both uh, you and I have just put out articles about our 10 most anticipated films of the year. You you did this, and then I got so excited that I decided <laughs> to write a rebuttal, uh, which was a lot of fun to kind of look through what movies are, are still coming out. So there'll be links to both of those in the show notes. Uh, and, and thank you for encouraging me to do some writing, which I don't often do. <laughs> you should. You're a great writer, too. I I, I always like reading your writing. Oh, thank you. It just it's, it could be so time consuming. That's the only thing. <laughs> it is very time. It is very time consuming. A hundred percent. And I don't know how to be brief. That's the other problem. <laughs> well, do you have anything else that you've worked on that you want to plug or give a shout out? Uh, if not, where can people find uh, you and more of your work? I'm trying to think. What am I going to have out by the time? No, I think it might be the same old. But uh, yeah, you can go to exclaim in that shelf um pov magazine i write reviews for all three of those outlets um and you can go to rachelkh.com for even more of my ramblings awesome well make sure you let us know what you think of our best and worst movies of the year so far do you have any similarities differences do you have some angry letters that you need to send to the editor send them to me and i'll read them at rachel (laughs) next time uh but you can follow the show on instagram twitter and facebook at contrazoom pod and you can send us an email to contrazoompod at gmail.com thank you to eric and kevin smale for the theme music and to stephanie Pryor for the logo design If you do like to listen to your podcast on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out.